Welcome to the International Schools Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Taylor, and on the podcast, we discuss all aspects of technology and life in international schools, with new episodes live every two weeks. We focus on people currently working in international schools, and we talk about life in their current country, and then we dive into some specific topics. The podcast is sponsored by Apps Events. We're a Google for Education partner and made up of former educators, all experts in helping schools integrate Google into their schools and classrooms. All training is customized for every school to make sure it has lasting impact. We're also experts on online virtual Google training, and we can deliver all our certification bootcamps and training completely online to schools. We have teams in Europe and the Middle East, Asia and the US, and we can help you wherever you are. Check it out over at appsevents.com. We're also delighted to say we're now an ISTE partner and we're delivering the ISTE Certified Educator worldwide with our subsidiary AE Learning. ISTE certification is a pedagogy-focused, vendor-neutral, professional certification aimed at educators wishing to transform their edtech practice. We run two-day certification boot camps which are amazing fun, great networking and will give you a huge boost both to your career and for your school. Get all the info at aelearninglab.com. Finally, the podcast is brought to you by Acer for Education. People ask us what Chromebooks and Windows laptops we recommend for schools, and after literally trying them all, we always recommend Acer. If you'd like to get more information, please just leave your email at gg.gg forward slash Acer Education, and we'll get straight back to you. We go to Acer HQ in Taiwan every year to be part of product discussions, and they are genuinely the best thought out, cost-effective, and durable devices out there. And now, on to the interview. Hello, and welcome to the podcast today. uh, It's great to be talking to Daniela Silva on the call from Peru. How are you doing, Daniela? Well, thank you for inviting me, Dan. Saying hi from Peru, it's nine in the morning. Exactly. So we've just been talking before the call that... um, Daniela, you were just saying the schools are going to be closed until December at the moment. That's the advice you've got from the government in Peru. So that's like, that's more serious than in most countries in terms of a lockdown for education, if, if it stays like that. For sure. And, and basically, the government is telling us, you know, be prepared to teach online until December. But you never know when that uh, rule is going to change, maybe in September, October, November. But at least they were, they were giving us a heads up of, you know, just be ready. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, I've, I've worked with Daniela. You've, uh, we've run an event at your school in, in Peru, uh, and we've worked with you when you were in Qatar as well, so no, known you for a while. And I just want to have a chat about your background because it's interesting. You know, you've, you've worked in a few places, and you've got a kind of tech you know, leadership position in, in an international school, so we can talk a bit about how, how that came about and maybe some advice for people looking to try to follow that route in, in the future. So, like in terms of your background, like what I don't know much about your background. So for me, it's interesting to find out. Like, what what did you? How did you start off in education? Did you go straight into it after after university? Uh, just to, yeah, I would say that international mindedness has always been in my roots. You know, my mom is from China, my father's from Brazil. I was born in Ecuador. My husband is from Uruguay, and my daughter was born in Nepal. So we are a family that takes global citizenship pretty seriously. Right. Um, <laughs> Your daughter I finished... was born in Nepal, was she? Yes, she was born oh, in Nepal. Wow. Did you work in Nepal as well? Yeah, no, but that's, uh, I oh, think we'll, that would we'll be get, a different we'll get, we'll podcast. 
yeah. We were, I was just there actually in um, Lincoln School in. Um, we did a summit there last year, so I was in Kathmandu. It was really great. I, 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 I haven't been for a few years, but Kathmandu is one of my favorite cities in the world. Like, I really love it. There. It's really nice. Yeah, it's yeah. really nice. I mean, it's a, it's a tough place to live. Like, you know, in terms of like traffic and pollution and just the hassle. There's a lot of a huge amount of bureaucracy there. You know, like, but so I, I know the guys live there have a hassle, but it's still like you've got the Himalayas. The people are amazing. You know, it's, it is cool. Yeah, it's a it's a great part of Asia. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah. So you were saying you were very internationally <laughs> minded, and what, 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 like, how did you get into this education? So basically, I finished college at 22 in Memphis, Tennessee, and then I just started working at an IB school first as a teacher. After that, I had the opportunity to join a very small international school in my home city, which is Guayaquil, Ecuador. Yeah, Here's where yeah. I get to learn, you know, international education field, the framework, how it really works. Um, and, you know, when you're a teacher in a small school or when you are a, a, a rising leader, you often wear many hats. And did I started attend, with an Did you attend an international school? Because it's interesting because, like, you obviously knew about it. A lot of people don't even find out about international education for a long time. Like, had you attended an international school yourself? No, I didn't. No, oh, okay. But you, but you knew about it? I knew about it a little bit. I knew that they will speak only in English and you get a yeah. diploma from the US, but I really needed to understand more about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, at this school, um, I started working uh, and wearing many hats. And one of those hats was, you know, working on a standardized assessment, which is the NWEA map test. So first yeah. I was just the technology coordinator for the school project, but later for the entire scope which includes communication strategy, the logistics, data retrieval, and analysis. Got it. Um, so it was it was a lot of work, and you know what I was doing that I had some friends, and one of my friends, uh, Stacy, she said you should think about going abroad, and that just you know stay in my mind, and and I was just thinking about it, and she even helped me going to the job fair databases, looking at jobs that will suit my profile. And then I ended up in China as an right. IT director and also an uh, interim high school principal. Okay, so we've got to start off. So your first job or second job, you went. How did you become an IT director and interim principal? That sounds a bit. That, does, that sounds a bit crazy. <laughs> well, I became the IT coordinator at this small international school in Guayaquil, Ecuador. Yep. And then um, I think I did really good in my interview in China. I became yeah, the IT yeah. director. They were looking for an interim high school principal. The director approached me, talked to me. Uh, I was really young. I was under 30, yeah. under my 30th. And, and he coached me. I learned a lot. I had to make tough decisions. But I think that that helped me a lot uh, to build my rapport and to build my leadership skills. Sure. After How did you find it living in China? Like, um, what I guess that was a few years ago. Like, what was it? Because I mean, the, the international school sector is growing hugely in china i mean i think the majority of international schools in the world are now in in china you know like how how did you find it like was it was it an interesting experience and what, which city were you in as well i was in Ningbo, uh yeah. south of shanghai like four hours drive south of shanghai i must say that it was my first uh international post so i'm assuming it was the hardest one hardest one because of the cultural shock that you get especially yeah. in china because you don't get the latin words or anything like that so 
it was really challenging for us, communication, transportation, food. Um, and also it was a for-profit school. Yeah. So it, it was, it was uh, something different from what I was used to. But I'm glad it happened because that opened me the door to join Carter Foundation schools where I stay uh, for five years. And when I started at Carter Foundation School, I started yeah, at one of... Yeah, yeah so ahead, if, you, yeah. Just, if you don't mind, I want to just, just stick on the chat. You know, you're, you're so fast because there's so many interesting things you talked about here. Like, so what you were talking <laughs> about, like China, like the... Um, the for-profit like what, what 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 do you think are like the differences in like and if you mentioned it was a for-profit school and that has some challenges like do you think like there's a real difference or is it just some schools or or, or just in your experience like and what were the differences you think with kind of a for-profit school to a non-profit school well that was the that would be the only for-profit school i have worked yeah. at and one of the things that really struck me is that any decision made at the top level it's about increasing the revenue and sure. decreasing the expenses. Yeah. And it was not most about the teaching and learning that right. should happen inside the classrooms. Right, right, right. That's interesting. Yeah, people say that, but I mean, I was reading uh, a couple of papers recently about this whole topic. I'm fascinated by the growth of international schools. And I think it's now something like um, 70, 75% of all international schools are for, are for profit. It depends how you define an international school, but you know, there's a few criteria you can use, certain curriculums, certain um, certification bodies and things, you know, but, it, and, and, and it, it's only growing and, and, and China is, I mean, China is the fastest growing followed by uh, UAE and then Hong Kong, Thailand. And I think Qatar is like number four or number five or six even, yeah. but, but China is by far the, the huge growth. I mean, there's like, you know, there's, there's tens to hundreds of international schools every year opening in China. Now it's, it's, for me, it's, it's fascinating that there's, that many people to support that kind of market, you know, China, but, but it is, it's huge. I know. And I agree with what you say, you know, international schools has a different criteria. Is it because just you provide a bilingual education or is it just because you provide an IB curriculum or is it because your staff are, you know, 50% expats, there are different criteria and, and you have to be careful what it really is an international school. Yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. But cool, yeah, sorry to get back to your story. So Qatar, which is when, when I, we first spoke, you were doing, uh, we, we ended up doing a summit there, which we're still running. Now we've, we've done party. I think you know Dan. So uh, how, how, was, how was that? Like, how was, how was it going to Qatar from, because I guess you had a family by this time as well. Yeah, well, no, I flew with my, with my husband from Ecuador to China and then from China to yeah. Qatar. And I first started as an IT director at one of the Qatar Foundation schools. When I joined, they only had, Five. When I left in five years, they already had 10 schools. Yep. Um, in my second year, uh, they created the district office. And then uh, this position came up as a 21st century learning director for all the schools. And I was offered the position. So that's when I got to work with you and James uh, yeah. a little bit on the Google Summit. Now, what would you, what is a 21st century learning director? Because that's a phrase that has a lot of different meanings depending on who you talk to. You know, like, well, how did you, what did it mean for you? Well, what it mean was, you know, normally what you have in different international schools is an IT director that talks about more systems, structure, network, Wi-Fi devices. But you, especially now during COVID times, you really want to know and you really want to have a person who understands how to purposefully 
use this technology to enhance learning. Yep. So that was the role of the 21st century director at that moment. He was working with the technology coaches at each of the, the schools and also the librarians. So it was creating like a task force between uh, all of us to become a more oriented, you know, future oriented um, teachers that will use the EC standards, that will use the ASL standards, which are the American Association for Library Standards and really finding a way to embed that into the IB curriculum. Got it. Now, um, I'm curious, like, obviously we've gone through your background pretty quickly, like, because, you know, the people who do, who get into these technology leadership roles, I've seen different types of people. Some people are very, like, they come from a technical background, you know, they know, like, even, like, programming, networking protocols. Some people have come from it more like as a, as a kind of tech coach role, you know, they're very much, they come from the, the, the user experience, but they've got like a technical mind. Like what, what do you think was your background and what do you think for someone in leadership? I mean, do you have to be technical? Do you have to be able to program or do, can you be like a, a kind of more of a business analyst, someone who can translate the end user experience to, to everyone else? I must say that for me, um, I started on the technical side. Yeah. My bachelor's is actually in management information systems. My father was also a statistics professor. So since I was little, I was exposed to what teaching looks like. And he will even bring me to his classes sometimes. Wow. So when I got back to Ecuador due to family reasons, um, I started teaching English. Then I started teaching IB and then I got my master's in teaching and learning so i i have both sides yeah but it's really i would say it's really rare to find somebody who can understand the systems yeah and flow charts and all these things but also under understands you know coaching and um learning innovation yeah got it so you, you think i mean there's there's i mean it seems to me there's a big variation in kind of people who take these roles in terms of what their technical skills are you know you don't have to like like you're saying it, it's probably rare for people to be very technical in that position you know but there are there are some yeah and i would i would advise if you know anyone who's uh listening to this podcast if you want to become a tech director at an international school you only have to be an educator before i think that's the the biggest reasons because when yeah. you become a tech director you will always have some people within your team, they are the techies, the one who understands more, and you can learn from them. Yeah. Uh, but you cannot learn pedagogy from them. Um, that's, a it's, that, that's a really uh, big hurdle. Yeah. And um, I think that's important. As a tech director, you will manage or supervise a group of educators or staff. So you yep. have to have experience in leading collaborative meetings and effective teams, which I would say it will make your life really easier on the service that your team is providing and also on the decision-making process. Sure. That, that's really interesting. Now, what, um, so, so in Qatar, like you, you basically, what, what was your, you did the 21st century learning. Did, did your role change when you were there or did, did it stay more or less the same in, in Qatar before you came to Peru? It, it stayed the same. Yeah. It stayed the same. Yes. And actually, just, just obviously, part of this is talking about to live. Like, what? How would you describe uh, Qatar as, as a place to live? Obviously, people get paid very well there. It's it's uh, um, you know it's an interesting environment. Like, how, what was your experience of, of living there with a family? Like, you know, just, uh, can you give us a, a, a feeling of what it was like to live there? My husband and and I really miss uh, Qatar. 
not just really? not just because of the the income that you get it's because of the connections and the friends that become your family you know it's a country where 75 percent are expats yeah that means that you get to know a lot of people from different places and they're 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 trying to find a connection with everybody else and you get together over the weekends you it's it's a different feeling like we don't get that in peru we yeah. might be the one percent of expats where you don't get to that you only hang out with your own school uh colleagues so that's right. something that we're really really missing another part that we really like about qatar and china was about safety and security yeah uh, you can walk you can leave your door open you can leave your car open and running and nothing happens sure. you don't get to do yeah, that yeah. in in latin america <laughs> yeah well i mean you know it's different because like you know in peru i mean it's like it's such a friendly open place like you know it's like you know you can just go out and i guess i guess some of these countries where like say qatar where it's a bit more restrictive in terms of the laws and things the foreigners probably like you say come closer together because you know it's it's a it's a, a very different environment you know where somewhere like peru it's like it's very easy just to go out and meet people and you know do your own thing i guess yeah it's true and in terms of the laws i think the locals the qataris they were very open really? i mean we have never any issues uh with them you can drive you can do anything i i we found them very friendly really okay yeah great so 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 you then you made a decision to move back to latin america like what was were you looking to move like based on like a career thing you wanted to find a, a more senior position or did you just want to go to back to latin america this is basically like a parallel position that I'm now, um, the yeah. Director of Innovation and Technology at the Colegio Roosevelt, the American School of Lima. And something that my husband and I wanted to do is, our daughter was one year old or one year and a half, and yeah. she was really asking who else is her family. So we really wanted to go closer to our family, which is between Uruguay, Ecuador, and uh, the US where my brothers live. Yeah. So Peru, this position came up and it has a great, the school has a great reputation in international network. Yeah. So I apply and I'm happy to be here. This is my third year. I'm finishing my third year right now. Yeah. And I will have to say that, you know, since I started in leadership positions, I always wanted to find a connection with what is happening at, at the instructional core, whether it's your teachers, your students on your content. Yeah. So when i moved to these positions i always felt disconnected with what's happening in the classroom so that's why for over 10 years i have worked with the international baccalaureate in different projects i'm a principal examiner and recently i'm developing the curriculum of their new course called digital society which will yeah. be replacing itgs uh, soon in a couple of years great what do you think is interesting you know because um I've, uh, I've got two children, obviously, I'm thinking about like curriculums and stuff. Like, what's your opinion on the international baccalaureate, like the whole thing, the PYP, MYP, DP, as opposed to like, you know, the alternatives, like, you know, the UK and American based curriculums? Like, do you think it's, uh, I mean, it's a very big question, but you know, like, do you, what's your, what's your opinion? Like, if you were comparing, like, 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 like for your daughter, for example, what would you prefer her to, to learn? I would say it could be the PYP or the NYP or any other any other curriculum as long as there's 
personalized learning path that she's following, that she's getting pushed to the next level and not just stay there with the rest of the class. That's something that I'm looking as a, as a mother. Sure. And I really like the diploma program. I really believe in it because it has an international mindedness. Yeah. And also it, it prepares the student not just to go to college, but for life, yeah. which are the ATLs. And that's something that I really uh, value. Interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually doing a master's in uh, some education related topic. I actually just wrote a paper about international mindedness with the uh, international baccalaureate. I should send you send you it to read it. Um, oh, that would be great to read then. Well, yeah, I mean, you probably be it'd probably be a bit embarrassing to send it to somebody else, you know. Like, but it, you know, it, it was it's an interesting <laughs> topic. <you know? laughs> the whole international mindedness thing is like, well, first of all, how, how do you do, how do you define it? You know, there's a few a few a few different ways. It, it's it's fascinating to me, you know. Um, now, what, what what are you thinking next? Like, what's like for you? Are you because that's the thing when people get to become like your kind of role. The next thing is, do you want to go to school leadership uh, or stay in a kind of technology role? Like, what, what are you thinking in terms of your career? I think that's very interesting to think about now. I've been doing technology for over ten years, and also in leadership positions of technology for over ten years. So, I think that in one year or 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 two. Um, I want to take the next jump. I really am finishing my PhD. I really hope that I finish this year. Yeah. And with that, I would like to go to um, like a role in associate director. Um, I really like systems. I'm a person that really likes to find how processes and flows work within a school, whether it's admissions, finance, technology, purchasing, or anything like that. And I like to find how can I improve the system and the flow of the people and uh, the software as well? Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Uh, just to say about a PhD, like how it's something I've obviously like I've always thought about. Like what I mean, what how how would you estimate the workload? Like is is it more than you thought? Less? Is it manageable for someone who's working with a family? Like obviously you're managing it, so it's possible. <laughs> yeah. I'm just gonna say, you know, doing your PhD is like becoming a parent. You're never right. ready. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> my recommendation is do not switch jobs in between because it will cut the flow of your research and that's something i did and i regret and yeah. that's why my phd is taking longer and my suggestion will be find a topic that has a meaning for you or you have a real connection with because yeah. that will be your inspiration to continue working on it I really had to focus myself. I really had to use my calendar to create time slots for me to work on that. Yeah. And, and what, how did you do that personally? Did you do it like early in the morning or when everyone's gone to bed? Like when did you find time or when do you find time to work on it? How do you, how do you structure it? Normally uh, in the afternoons when my daughter goes to the park, then yeah. I, I get one or two hours to focus on that. Okay, interesting. Cool. And I finally want to just talk about like Peru because, um, you know, again, living there, like how, like, uh, what's it like? Pe people, maybe they're looking, you know, they're looking at jobs in international schools, Peru and Latin America generally. Like, how would you describe it? Like, what's it like to live for foreigners coming in? You know, is, is it expensive? Is it sociable? Like, I mean, it's obviously a big question, but what, what things would you pick out about, about living there? I think working in Latin America is very different from other parts of the world. As everything, you know, it has his great things and also things that you need to consider before you move. Yeah. Um, first of all, you will feel a stronger sense of connections between the students and their families. 
Yep. There's a big appreciation towards food, travel, and summer. Summer here is from December to February. It's a sacred time of the year to enjoy the amazing weather. You gather with family and friends and you travel around South America. Yeah. On the other side, you have to be, as I said before, more aware of your safety and security. Also, you need to know a little bit of few Spanish words to get around and yeah. traveling through air. It's a little bit, uh, it's not as cheap as Europe, Middle East or Asia. Yeah. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it, it's not as, and, and and I think generally, you know, the there's not as, the, the salaries are probably not as high as like the Middle East or like Hong Kong or China, I guess as well. Maybe China, but not, I think the Middle East is probably better paid, I would say generally, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but not, I mean, my school especially not that different. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, and we're not saying 50% less. No, it's, okay, it's, yeah, a, yeah. it's a lesser percentage. And if... Sorry, carry go on. ahead. Go ahead, Ben. No, no, I was, I was saying about um, it's just like the safety thing. Cause like I've, I've traveled a lot in South America. And I've been to like I've been to Ecuador and Colombia, and Peru and El Salvador, and I've everyone talks about how it's dangerous. And obviously, I'm a man and I'm, and I'm over six foot, so like maybe I'm not the most obvious type. But I've never like I've always felt I've always felt fine. And and everyone talks about how dangerous it is, but I've never seen almost anything to make me think that it was dangerous. You know, it's just it, but everyone says it, so it must be true. You know. Well, there's a difference when, when you're a tourist, when you're living in the country. And that's yeah. what happened to me in China. You know, when, when you're a tourist, oh, you see the Great Wall, this nice and that. But when you're living, it's very different. Yeah. Um, so I think, I think you went probably to the tourist places then when you visit South America. Yeah, mostly all, all the cities, but I, I spent time in the cities as well, you know, like, which, which is, okay. you know, but again, but again, you know, I suppose in, in Latin America, you know, you, You've, it's very different, like you know, that the, in terms of the income level of the city, you've got a, a, part, a very high income part, like like where I was staying in Peru, and then there's probably parts where you could get into trouble if you if you go in the city. You know? Exactly, and you know, bigger cities in South America, the the good neighborhoods and the the bad neighborhoods are closer together, so yeah. it could be a separation of one street only. So that's what you need to be worried about. Yeah, I mean, I guess I noticed it in, in El Salvador because in El Salvador, in San Salvador, the capital, like the the the, the walls on, on the houses, you know, normally you have a wall around your house, maybe a small bit. These walls were like 15 feet high with, with barbed wire on the top, you know? And at the end of the street, <laughs> like a, a gate, like a guard house with like, you know, I mean, that was really like, you know, they took security crazy seriously in, in San Salvador. That's most I've ever seen. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, is there anything else? Like, is it is it an easy place to settle in for foreigners? Do you think? I mean, um, if they, if they go to live in uh, like Peru or, or or other similar countries, yeah, I would say Peru. It's it's pretty safe. Uh, Ecuador, you know, I'm from Ecuador. I would say it's also uh, pretty safe. Chile yeah. as well. They have a great international school there. Nido de Aguilas. If you're listening to this podcast and you want to know more about international schools in South America or Latin America, you should check ASA, which is the Association of the American Schools in South America. On their website, you'll see a list, and they also have job fairs uh, that you can sign up for. Yeah, I'll I'll um I'll have a look at that. There's um I think the conference was is it taking place this year or is it postponed the, the annual conference? I think it's happening because it's around November, December. Yeah, I, I was looking at it. Yeah, cool. Well, I, I definitely like to go. Well, Danielle, I know you got to leave at uh, half past, so 
I want to say thank you very much for talking. Like, where can where can people find you online? Like, do you have a website or LinkedIn or just email? How can people get in touch with you? Yeah, they can they can uh, just find me on Twitter. I learned the Silva. Uh, my website also is danosilva.com or on LinkedIn. If you can just search for Daniela Silva, you'll find me there, and I'll happy to connect and talk to you. Cool. I'll put all the links in the show notes. Daniela, thank you very much, and and great to talk. Nice to see you, Dan.